true. It's, Larry's yeah. done it too. Oh, Larry's not here today. Man, oh man. All right. All us youngers. Okay. Well, we are uh, we are still in the midst of the intro for uh, Philemon. Um, we we had a this is intro number two, uh, second yeah, week at this, and we got we got to finish up. Yeah. A little bit what we're talking about. Uh, it's going to take us a while, and then hopefully we'll get into the first uh, few verses of Philemon, uh, which only has one chapter. And how many verses? 20, 20, 25 verses. Unless you include the two that I just added when I said it was 27. First thing in the morning. <laughs> Anyhow, all right. So uh, remember, in the... Um, in the Roman, in the ancient world, uh, in general, uh, slavery was uh, not uncommon. It usually happened as a result of uh, conquests, and then people were taken and, and forced into slavery as a result of that. It could also take place as a way of paying off debts, at least in the at least in the Jewish world. Um, you could go into debt, to, and then in order to pay it, you would. Um, you would have a, 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 a contract, this is you would in, essence be a, um, in essence, you would be a person who was, uh, um, I just lost my train of thought, you, you would be indebted to that person, you'd be like an indentured uh, servant for a period of time until your debt was cleared. Now, in the Roman world, uh, slavery was uh, a little different than in, in the Jewish concept of slavery. Uh, the, in, the, in that uh, the, the, uh, the owner had complete rights to do whatever they wanted. Slaves were treated as, as chattel. Um, a sla an owner could sell, punish, torture, or even kill uh, slaves. Uh, there were a series of uprisings that took place in the uh, first two centuries of BC, the, the last two, you know, and the result of that was that uh, uh, philosophers, uh, even uh, uh, government, uh, decided to be a little more humanitarian in their treatment. Uh, so after that fact, after the the, the um, uh, the, the, the two uh, series of uprisings was more than two. Uh, there was some legal protection put in place. Um, as an example, a master could no longer, you know, send his slaves to the beasts in the amphitheater, which doesn't sound like a lot, but apparently was a big deal uh, in, in the Roman Empire. Uh, you, you could only do that if there was a judgment to do so. So you had to take them to court. You know, um, in the mid-first century, um, one of the emperors uh, declared that abandoned slaves uh, should be freed. Uh, Nero uh, instituted legal procedures that would allow for the hearing of complaints of unjust treatment from slaves against their masters. Dominion, for forbid. Could Giuseppe? Could you keep him out, muting him, muting him. Yeah, Zep, could you make sure you're muted? We're hearing all your conversation. Yeah, as I look for that. Thanks, brother. Um, Domitian uh, forbid masters uh, to uh, to castrate their slaves, uh, and and he set a penalty that included half of their property. So uh, while that that doesn't sound all that great, it's was better than it was. Um, 
the the slaves, uh, you know, the, the issue of and the, the laws uh, uh, that started to protect slaves even uh, continued on into the second century. Um, and, uh, you know, I told you last week, uh, last week that uh, even homicide, you know, if uh, you're no longer allowed to slay slaves that were um, uh, so solely on order of the master, there had to be legal proceedings if you were going to kill a slave. Um, on the other hand, uh, in most cases, slaves were treated fairly well as compared to non-slaves in the sense that they had, they were provided a place to live, a, a food, housing, and uh, they worked. If, if they managed to be freed, and, and, and there was a, an ability uh, in certain cases, uh, those that were, um, uh, that were higher up, if you will, in the, I, I don't know how to describe this, but there were, there were slaves that were worth 5,000 denarii and there were slaves that were worth 50,000 denarii. Uh, I don't, and some of them were allowed to have uh, side businesses, if you will, and earn money to put away. Uh, if they raised enough, they could buy their freedom. Uh, if that was the case, uh, that was great. The problem is that freed slaves uh, probably had the same situation as what I understand. And again, I'm not a historian from the from the time of the Civil War, but when you freed a slave in the in the first century, they didn't have land, they didn't have a job, they didn't have a place to live, they didn't have food uh, that was readily available to them. It was sometimes worse. Uh, because they weren't they weren't in their homeland even and many times they've been taken to the other side of the empire and so uh, freeing them was probably uh, while it was great to be free it was it was tough uh, it was a tough situation because it was hard to survive without uh, help from other people so um, religion uh, you know uh, protected them to some degree, at least it admitted that they were, that they had souls and that um, all religions welcomed them into their fellowship, whether or not it was, uh, uh, you know, how they were perceived in that, in that fellowship is, is another story, but they were allowed into it. Um, in general, if you were a person who had a slave, it, it, this was not the common person. The, the common person, the, the majority of people in the, in the Roman Empire did not own slaves. Even though th a third of all of the Roman Empire were slaves, they were all owned by people of wealth. Uh, in this particular case, Philemon, who is the owner of Onesimus, uh, was apparently at least somewhat wealthy because among other things, he, he owned a home. In, in uh, to have a home meant that in this particular case, a home large enough to have the church meant that it was, uh, you had a large gathering in the, you had a building that was, that was, that was covered. You had a place to meet. And that was not the normal place for the average family. The average family had a room basically. Um, when we were, when we've been to Gis with Giuseppe in, in Sicily, we've been to some of the, the towns and some of the, the, the homes that are there started off as a single level dwelling, you know, and all of the family and in, in, and in, in many cases, the animals for the farm, like if they had a, 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 a 
if they had a horse or they had a, a mule or whatever, that, that would stay in the, in the building with them. Um, as they got more prosperous, they'd add a second level. But, it, you know, it started off, people just had one floor. That was it. And, and it was true even in, again, even in Sicily, even in, uh, I, I remember if I understand correctly, G told me that uh, his father built their place. And I've been there and um, it's at least three stories, maybe more. I don't remember now. I know the top story, I believe, is the, is the, uh, um, is the kitchen. But the first floor was where they, they originally uh, lived. And they lived with, I think, the, uh, the animals they were using on the farm. So uh, that, would be the, that would be very typical, and it would, uh, even in the first century. And so having a, uh, someone who has a home that, that can have a large group of people gather uh, means that they have a, a certain amount of wealth. And so it would be that it makes sense that Philemon perhaps, well, obviously did have a slave um, whose name was uh, Onesimus. Uh, you know, the, the problem, I, I hesitate to say problem, the issue that, that the church was faced with was that uh, it was... Uh, probably the first people to come to know the Lord in most situations would have been in a, in a home that had slaves would have been the slaves before the masters. And, uh, and then uh, when they, if the, the, the owner came to know the Lord, that's what sets up really the tension is what do you do with that? Especially with the teaching of the new Testament and with the teaching that Paul has. So, uh, you know, he does give us some information. It, it seems kind of, well, in Ephesians, we, we've talked about this. We've talked about Ephesians. Ephesians talks about what the slaves' responsibilities were and what the master's responsibilities were. Colossians does the same thing. Um, interestingly enough, that Timothy and Titus both also speak to the issue of slavery um, but really don't take to task the masters as much as they do the slaves. Uh, give an example in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge them. Uh, Titus says something similar, in this, and he says, "Teach slaves to observe their uh, to be subject to their masters in everything, and try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they are uh, that they can be fully trusted." So that in every way they will make the teaching of God, our Savior, attractive. And, and I would add, add on to that, especially to the non-believing owners. Uh, Corinthians says, 1 Corinthians says that uh, if you're a slave, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who is a slave when he is called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who is a free man when he is called is, becomes Christ's slave. You are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man is responsible to God and should remain in the situation God's called him to. 
this is this is tough, you know, because um, it, it, as I mentioned last week, during the Civil War, there were people that um, that used the Bible to prove their case on both sides. It, it wasn't, um, you know, and the popular argument was uh, this: if slavery was so wrong, why didn't why didn't Jesus uh, talk about it against it, and why didn't the apostles? And all that Paul seemed to do was regulate slavery. He didn't even condemn it. Well, yeah, you're right. I think, though, that the seeds of of uh, abolition were sown in Scripture. But often, seeds take a long time to germinate. What was it I was reading? If you If you try to plant a bamboo shoot, you can plant the seed in the ground and you water it for 10 years, I believe, before it ever, before it ever uh, germinates. <laughs> and when it does, it grows huge almost immediately. Now, I'm not saying that that's the situation here, but I'm saying sometimes it takes, just remember, our time and God's time never seem to correspond. What we want and how we want to have happy, you know, I want... I want justice and I want it right now. And, and God doesn't do that. God is very slow to anger and slow to bring about judgment. He wants people to come back to him on their own free will. Uh, I found this out, out of a, a, a commentary in 1940. I thought it was an interesting, uh, an interesting perspective. Um, this is a guy by the name of Alexander McLaren. Uh, and he had a, his commentary on Colossians said this in, 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 in dealing with this question of slavery. He says, first, the message of Christianity is primarily to individuals and only secondary to society. It leaves the units whom it has influenced to influence the masses. Second, it acts on spiritual and moral sentiment and only afterwards and consequentially on deeds or institutions. Third, it hates violence and trusts wholly to enlightened conscience. It, uh, so it meddles directly with no political or social arrangement, but lays down principles which will profoundly affect these and leave them to soak into the general mind. Um, I, I thought that was an interesting perspective. I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm in slavery, I would find that helpful. But I also know there have been lots of times that God puts us, each of us, in situations that we're not happy with. And if we truly believe, if we truly believe that God is in control, then God can remove situations and change situations just like he does in all sorts of ways. And the problem is, are we willing to trust him? And I know that sounds horrible, especially if you're the one that's in the midst of whatever the trial that you're going through or the test or the, the time of temptation that you're going through. There are, there are times I look at what, I look at what Job's life was like and I'm going, man, there's no way in the world I'd want to be Job. There were times that, that, that things happened in my life. I wished hadn't happened or I wish that I could have changed what had happened. But I also know that the outcome is the outcome was that I, I think I've become deeper in my relationship with God, deeper in my walk with him. Um, 
Look at the uh, story of uh, Joseph. Yeah. Who sold him to slavery and ends up, what, number two man in Egypt? Yeah. Yeah. And saves saves Israel. Yes. Yep. The guy by the pool of Bethesda was there 38 years. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes (laughs) God, you know, here's my, here's the problem that, that, that we are all faced with. Do we believe that God has our best intentions? Do we trust him that what he plans to do in our lives is for our best? Whether it's a health issue, whether it's a job issue, whether it's a, a, a you know, a, a problem within your, your family, what is it, you know, are we willing to trust God that he wants to work this out in a way that will bring him glory and bring us what we need for our lives? And I got to tell you, there are times that every one of us in this that I'm looking at, every one of us has things that we don't want to be involved with, are issues that we don't want to have to deal with. If you were uh, unfortunate enough to be locked up in Auschwitz or something, how would you maintain that perspective? There is a wonderful uh, book out by a woman by the name of Corey Tenboom. Yeah. You might want to check out her writing. I don't remember yeah. the name of oh, her writing, but she was a child uh, in uh, the camps. I think she was Dutch. Right. And she and her sister, her sister died in the camps and she came to a point after the camp, she survived and her faith was strong, but she came to a point after the camp, she had to forgive the person that killed her, her sister. Mm. That's tough. I'm not sure I could have done that. Mm. You know, only by the grace of God would someone have the strength to be able to do that and to, to, to be obedient to what God calls us to do. I'm just thinking, personally, if you were in there trying to continue to trust God and believe that what you were going through was for the good, for your good and his glory, that that would be tough. You're right. Look at at what, you know, put yourself in Jim's shoes right now. I mean, yeah. uh, Yeah. That's tough. Now, I'm not, I'm not in any way shape or form trying to relate any of that to to someone who who's involved who's who is a slave okay but the consequences of of evil take take centuries at times to deal with look at it look at it from this way in um uh great britain outlawed slavery in uh either the 1830s or 1840s i forget the exact time that it happened it took another roughly 20 to 30 years for, for the United States to get around to it. We hold elections. We have dealt with issues. We supposedly, I use that in quotes because it all depends on your definition of, of freedom. Uh, you know, we, we emancipated the slaves in, in uh, 1860 something when, you know, with the Emancipation Proclamation, right? Yeah. Yep. But did that solve the problem? <laughs> good. That's a good step, but it was a good step, but it was, but it, 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 it hasn't gone far out. enough, right? So oh, yeah. since then we had issues with Jim Crow laws. Did, did we get rid of them? Yeah. Was that a good step? Yeah. Did it solve everything? No. What about the civil rights movement? Is that a good thing that happened in sixties? Absolutely. 
there, there depends was, on where you are in that situation. Uh, okay, James, would you like to speak to that versus me? Because you can do it a whole lot better than I can, bud. I mean, it, you know, there was there was some good that took place, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things. It's a small step. Yes, sir. And, and all of this has just been a small step. You, they freed the slaves in 1865, but by uh, 1880, it was almost back to the same thing because everything that was supposed to be given was in some way taken away. Taken so away, yeah. The and then, people and people use the laws of the of the country in the United States uh, to to build on things. So, it, there, with regard to the '60s, there was there was good, and there was still some bad that was involved in that. So, so we're not done yet. Not not at all. Yeah, we're not done yet. And that, and, and my, my point was simply, and, and thank you, James, for, for, for adding to that, because I think you, you proved the, the point that I was trying to make, which is that if it's, if it's this difficult for us who, who have free elections and supposedly believe in you know, equality of people, and we're still struggling with it, how much harder is it for the rest of the world to do the same thing? Yeah, where you don't really have a voice. Right. And I guess my, my point with this is simply to say that, you know, the church has taken its time to get around to even addressing the situation. The, the issue that I think that, that um, I'm trying to look for my notes. I had a, one particular note I was looking for, and of course I can't find <laughs> it. Typical. Uh, and I starred things and I did all kinds of things. Um, God uses, uh, there, I believe that, that God uses everything that we go through in order to make us better people, to make us more into the likeness of Christ. And the path that he chooses for us, we have to trust that it's the best path for each of us. Because otherwise we have to, otherwise we're saying we don't believe, we don't believe God has our best intentions at heart. And this is the tough, this is the tough thing in, in dealing with why is there suffering in the world? This is the, the, the issue that you know, as a young man, I had to, you know, you, you, when you're young, you have all these preconceived ideas. You, you think you know everything that's, that's right in the world and you think you got it all figured out, right? You, you think that if, if they would just do it my way, it would be, th this world would be perfect. It'd be a panacea. It'd be utopia. The only problem is when they, if, you know, every time I tried to do it my way, it's failed miserably. But the issue I had to come to grips with eventually in, in, in my walk with Christ, and I haven't suffered like many of you have gone through. I, I haven't had that. But I have issue, I've had times when I've, I've dealt, been dealt what I thought was a pretty poor hand from God. And yet I had to, I had to trust that his plan was the way that, and, and he had looked at all the possible outcomes, and this was the best way of helping me to become the person he wants me to be. That ain't, po that ain't a positive thing sometimes when we're going through it. 
Um, you know, but look at this. Look at how did God use, Gary mentioned this. How did God use Joseph in Egypt? Pretty amazing, right? How did God use Esther in Persia? Save the Jewish people. How, how did God use Nehemiah? How did God use Daniel, who, by the way, Daniel was captured and taken into captivity, probably made a eunuch, found that he had value to his master, and spent all of his life in Babylon serving foreign kings. Mm-hmm. Was he used by God? Oh, yeah. Was? You sure? Even in the midst of captivity? Huh. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What a great story, huh? How many of you would like to walk in fire and not get burned? My problem is I don't even have to have literal fire to get burned, it seems like. I'm constantly getting burned. All right. So here's here's my here here are some some closing thoughts on this and and by the way you, some of you will agree with me some of you won't and that's okay i i'm i'm still struggling with trying to figure out all of this out too i have studied this i've thought about it i've prayed on it here are some of the things that i've come to to this is where I'm at today. Would this be where I'm at next week? Probably not. It might be different. It might be better. Hopefully. Okay, but here's where I'm at today. Why didn't Paul forbid the institution of slavery? Why did, why did he uh, not recommend that Philemon release Onesimus? Why were his instructions so crazily vague in this passage? Why? I, I think that the church lives in its own context, apart from and outside of the world, even though we're in the world. And while slavery was accepted generally, I think that there were many voices, not just in the church, but outside of the church, that spoke against slavery, even in the first century. In some instances, it incited riots. Uh, I think that Paul knew that the church could not be perceived as an instigator of rebellion that would lead to the loss of life if it wanted to see God's purpose advanced. I think that during the Middle Ages, that's a lot of what happened is we had the church fighting the church. Well, you Val, know? Yeah. you know, this issue of, you know, the context, it's it's a the thing that I uh, remember is that uh, in the Old Testament, uh, divorce was allowed. And then in the New Testament, when it says, no, it's not allowed. And why did they allow it? Because of the hardness of your heart. Yeah, the people at the time would had to have it or they would have turned away totally from God at the time. So they allowed it before Moses to, you know, that divorce was okay. Yeah. So it's like they couldn't, they didn't pass it back, you know, in, in, in that time. Uh, because, you know, it's, that, that was the context in which, you know, the reality in which the, you know, believers were, were living in. It, yeah, I, I think the Roman Empire 
had within itself a mechanism for, a, for change. But the change had to come voluntarily. It had to come from individuals whose lives had been changed by the Lord. Slaves uh, could be freed by anyone. And even if, if uh, their freedom at times caused them more problems than it solved. I think Paul chose a theological perspective and a theological route in this. He, he planted theological seeds that had to be sown, had to be watered, had to, he, if you want, he had to build a foundation that would allow for change. It, it ain't happening as fast as it should. Don't, I, I'm not saying that, that, it, that it's perfect. It, it, it ain't. But I think that we need to understand that it's, it's something that takes time to develop should it be a whole lot faster yeah uh i one one uh, uh scholar i thought had this i learned a new word by the way um and maybe others you have heard this i know what uh abolition is but i i learned a word called manumission and manumission is um uh has to deal with an owner, a slave owner, voluntarily freeing the slaves, not being forced to by law or by outside forces, but choosing to do so himself or herself, as the case may be. Uh, so one writer put it this way, in Philemon, Paul built his case on relationships that emerge in Christ. It is a Christian defense against this institution. While others argued for the brotherhood of man, Paul rooted his thoughts in the in Christ relationship, all in Christ were united and they participated in a common task of knowing Christ. Right thinking people wish the best for their families and right thinking Christians wish the best for their spiritual brothers and sisters as well. Thus, manumission of slaves logically proceeds from the message of the gospel. All persons are equal and in Christ that equality can be freely expressed, which comes from Galatians 3.28, which is, you know, that we're all equal. Slaves, free, um, Jew, Gentile, male, female. What this letter does, and this is the quote from, the, the, from this particular Scott, what this letter does is to bring us into an atmosphere in which the institution could only wilt and die. Now, in my, my, my thought on that is that yeah, I think we need a little more weed killer. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Val, does uh, does Paul, I can't remember if he references the Genesis concept of we are all image bearers of God from creation. Um, uh, off the top I, of my head, I don't remember, but it's I certainly a true, a, yeah. a true fact. I mean, obviously, as a Pharisee, he'd have been aware of that and knew it well. But I don't recall him explicitly referencing that uh, that idea. Well, unless unless you, uh, it could be Philippians. It could have been the first part of. Uh, I mean, hang on here. Let me just uh, get back to Colossians. Um, Uh, actually, I think I think it might be Philippians. Hang on, Philippians uh, two might have something to do with that. Um, uh, 
uh, and this doesn't no this other than the fact that it says that Christ became uh, became a man, you know, and that being uh, in and being made himself nothing, taking the very nature of, of a servant, being made in human likeness, uh, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I mean, I think that. Yeah, I think we're we're made in the image of God. I'm not sure that Paul actually says that. I'm not. I can't quickly put my finger on a passage. So, if one of you finds it this week, share it with the rest of us. Do me a favor. Yeah. Um, so the other problem, though, is that here you have Paul. He's speaking to one slave, and and, and when I say he's speaking to one slave, he's speaking about one slave. Yes. Philemon had other slaves in the house. Perhaps. You have a you you have a house as big as what he had to be able, you know that house had to be maintained, mm -hmm. and certainly he had others that were in service to him. So why just Onesimus? Why didn't uh, Paul uh, speak in reference to all oh, that uh, that uh, were were in uh, in the service? And, and that's when I, you know, that's what I said when I said, when I started last week and I said Philemon is like coming in the middle of a movie. We don't know the beginning. We don't know the end. We only know the information we're given. And the information seems to be incomplete. You, you're right. It would seem, why wouldn't you, perhaps, and again, I'm making an assumption that could be absolutely wrong, James, but perhaps... If he if he frees Onesimus, which I think is what comes out of here, and I'm I'm tipping my hand, okay, is that he's asking for that, even though he's not demanding it. Is he asking that Onesimus be accepted as a brother, uh, as part of the fold? And I think I I think he wants Onesimus sent back to him as freed as a freed person. If that's true, and I could be wrong on my assumption, okay, and on my understanding of this passage. Because again, we're coming in the middle of something and we have to make assumptions on the front end and the back end. Then perhaps the thought is if you do it for one, how do you not do it for the others, if they're, especially if they're believers? And I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. It'd be one of the well, few times I'm wrong, obviously. No. And on the, other, on the other side of that too, at that time, depending on who you were in service to, that had value to you as well. Yes. Uh, even as a, a person in service, because <clears throat> uh, depending on who you were in service to, they had certain powers, and the Romans had a, um, I don't know what might be the term, but power or station meant something to them. Sure. So everything, yeah. everything that you had, um, you know, depending on the power that you had uh, as a uh, as an individual. So uh, to be in service to somebody uh, that was closer to the emperor provided you certain, um, I don't know, certain benefits, qualities benefits and benefits perhaps. that it didn't, that others didn't have. So yeah. it, it, much like today, you know, we think about this. We have people that, that uh, uh, whether it's, I think it's, I think you see it most often in politics, but let you could equate this to business situations as well. But in politics, you know, the, the, the closer you get to somebody that has a position of power in office, 
you know, you, you can become one of the, uh, the staff members and, and the higher that person rises, the higher your, your uh, perceived influences in, in whether it's the state capital, the city, the county, uh, the federal government, you know, if, if you're, uh, 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 you know, the, uh, if you're a congressperson and you, uh, your staff person, uh, uh, you know, is right there with you and, and is being able to speak into your and give you advice, you're a whole lot more powerful the higher up that, you know, from a freshman to, uh, to the, the head of a, a chairman of a committee, uh, suddenly, you know, you're, the staff person has, you know, has his ability to do things and get things done and to perceive power is going to be a whole lot higher. So you're right. You're, you're, I think that's true even today. Um, not so much in, in slavery, but in, but in your, you know, whether or not you stick with a person uh, and, and ride their coattails, you know, uh, for, yeah. So I don't think, I think, that what we're going to find as we study this is that while it doesn't come out, this, this epistle, this letter doesn't come out and overly uh, forbid slavery. I think it, it is one of those things that plants sleep, it's, uh, plants seeds. Could, do I wish that it said more? Yeah, I do. It'd make it a whole lot easier. But, but again, made it too narrow. Well, again, yeah, it's it's like my wishing that the Bible was a systematic theology. It'd be so much easier to be able to go to the Bible, be able to turn to chapter seven, paragraph thirteen, this. and you know, and say, okay, here's what it says. This is what I have to do. And that's not that's not the way the Bible works. The Bible is is all about relationships, and the better our relationship, the the better our relationship with God the Father, the better our relationship should be with each other. Again, vertical should drive horizontal relationships. And there have been times when I've done it well, and there have been times when I've done it absolutely horrible. You know, one of the things that over the course of my time as a, a teacher, um, I found that I was really good at emphasizing the vertical and I was absolutely horrible when, when I first started out with the horizontal. Absolutely horrible. Why? Because I was only thinking about my relationship with God. And then it dawned on me one day that, you know, that's only half of what God's, you know, what Jesus says is the most important thing. You know, love, your, love God and love others. Well, I was doing a real good job of loving God, but I wasn't showing it at all in the love that I had for others started to change the way I, I respond to people, the way I, I deal with people. Um, I think that the more we spend time with this, the more we dig into the word, the more we become like Christ, the more embracing we are going to be to our fellow believers, regardless of what they look like or who they are or where they come from or what their former belief system was or or even what their their cultural or ethnic identity is you know you you look at the law the law was written down for us to follow a system and we failed at it <laughs> miserably over generations and yeah. the new testament is written more in 
I don't want to say freedom, but it's written more um, to do a self um, analysis on where you're at and 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 who you are and and where you're headed. And we're all led differently. Um, where we're not to judge another person in the word, especially because the Holy Spirit has us all at different points and we grow differently and we're all the same though. We're all equal. Just, you know, whether you're running the gifts in first Corinthians 12 or not, it doesn't matter. We're all equal. No matter where we are in our, you know, whether I have a PhD or a bachelor's or it doesn't matter, you know, I think some of the wisest men that I've ever encountered were men that didn't have, that didn't, that barely had high school, um, <laughs> high school diplomas. I, I had some men on, on my elder boards in the past that I just had the utmost respect for their wisdom and their insight into scripture. And they had, they, they, some of them barely had high school diplomas, but they knew the word. Here's the thing. We're told in 1 John, we're told what? If we want to prove that we love God, what do we have to do? Love others. Love others. How are we doing with that? That's what you have to ask yourself. How am I doing? That's your script. You know, I think that what we have to realize is that what I think what Christ is attempting to teach us is that we must treat others as Christ treated us and as we hope to be treated. You know, it's not enough just, let me put the, it's not enough just to do the golden rule. What's the golden rule say? Do unto others. As you, as you would have them do unto you. Right. What's the platinum rule? You've told me, but I can't. Remember. Do unto others as Christ has done unto you. Hmm. In other words, lay down your life for others, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. (laughs) A little harder, yeah. (laughs) Well, yes, and and I will tell you that I, again, I've done, at times I've done it rather well, I think. And then uh, most of the time I will tell you this, I am an absolute abysmal failure at laying down my life for others. Because, you know, it's just too hard to get out of my easy chair. It means that I'd have to get up earlier and pray for somebody, or I'd have to go help them, or I have to give them money, or socks, <laughs> boots, you know, and, and I don't have, I don't want to spend the money. How are we, how are we living sacrificially? And if we did, how would it change the way that we treat others, believers and non-believers? If you got to leave, Bob, don't worry about it, bud. We all have to go to, we all have to go to work too. So it's, we're no, we don't. the end of our. <laughs> I think not all of us. <laughs> you young whippersnapper. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. <laughs> oh, just, just so you know who the slackers in the group are. Well, we've kind of reached the end of our time again. And I I, I do want to just say uh, thanks for putting up with us. I'm not sure that I've addressed this 
fully. I'm not going to address it anymore. I, this is, it took us two weeks to get through the intro. I don't know that I've ever done this with any other book where I've taken this long, especially any book that's this short. Um, <laughs> in the Greek, there are only 350 words in this letter, just to let you know. <laughs> Crazy. Um, but I think that I, I look at this and I go, you know what? Colossians and Philemon could not have come at a better time in our Bible study than what we're involved in right now in our country and what we've been going through. I think that God's hand was in this for us. And I hope to learn some things with it. I hope that I know I already have, and I hope that in, in the process of, of this study, that you guys will learn some th stuff too. And if, if by chance, uh, it's stuff that you already know, well, then I hope I just can yeah. emphasize <clears throat> the positive. And where I'm wrong, well, God forgive me. I'm doing my I'm doing my darndest to try to to teach Scripture from as I understand it. Um, I've told you that if I had to teach, you know, I, I this is one of the reasons I, I hesitate to teach uh, Revelation because I, every week it seems like I change my mind as something about it. You know, <laughs> I think I know what it is. And then I read it again and I go, yeah, I don't think I, I think I might think this instead. So, um, so anyhow. we'll go right into James then. Yeah. Right after we're done, <laughs> right after we're done with nice first going, Corinthians, <laughs> right after we're done with first oh Corinthians, because as it is, first Corinthians is going to be tough. We're going to be dealing with stuff that we, yeah, it, we're going to be dealing with stuff. Did, any, did any of you watch uh, Sunday night, uh, I watched part of it. Yeah, well, Lots, still, a lot of James yeah. came up there. Yeah, I yeah, a lot of James came. Show was that what? Hey, what was that, that book? Oh, well, that's a, it's a it's a great book. It's a book that is so practical, and I'll just leave it at that when I turn off the recording.